right, uh, good evening, everyone. Glad to have you here uh, as we uh, are continuing our study in the life of Christ. Uh, if you're following along in the packet, we'll be in lesson 54 this evening. Lesson number 54. We're really going to conclude uh, another one of these um, you know, combination lessons over the past two or three uh, lessons have sort of been uh, you know, one uh, instance in Jesus' life and his ministry that is kind of spread over a couple of different instances. And so uh, we're going to conclude those thoughts here uh, tonight by looking at one of probably one of the more familiar uh, lessons in Scripture uh, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record it. And this is, of course, the transfiguration of Jesus up on the mountain. And so uh, this might be, you know, maybe again one of your favorite um, accounts in Scripture. It's, uh, it's thrilling to read, and so hopefully uh, we'll get a lot out of it tonight. If you were with us on Sunday morning, we uh, looked at uh, the past lesson where Jesus, uh, remember, he uh, had his uh, disciples with him, and if I can get this to work, uh, you recall that you know, Jesus is up in this area, Caesarea Philippi, and uh, we re- recall that you know, Jesus asks his apostles, who do man say that I am? And, of course, uh, you know, you know, Peter speaks up and says, you, you, know, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And we made the point that that was a question that we all have to ask in this life. And, and Jesus says, you know, based on that confession, based on uh, that rock, that confession that you made, Peter, I'm going to build my church. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, such an important Important verse uh, because it talks about how Jesus is going to build his church, not churches, but that one church. And, uh, and then after that, he foretells his death. Uh, you know, he's hinted at this a couple of times in Scripture already uh, when he talked about back in John chapter 2 about uh, his body uh, being the temple and being destroyed and being, you know, raised up in three days. And again, nobody understood what he was talking about. Uh, because they're thinking of a physical temple, the temple in Jerusalem, where Jesus is referring to his body, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, he also mentions in, uh, uh, in Matthew chapter 12 about how, remember, the only sign that he was going to give was the sign of Jonah. Again, referencing his death, burial, and resurrection. So he has hinted uh, to the people about his death, about how uh, that he must do these things. Remember, he must do these things. He must uh, receive that persecution from the scribes and the elders and, and the Pharisees and that he's going to die, uh, be killed, and then uh, be raised later. And so, uh, of course, when uh, Jesus does that, Peter, of course, speaks up and we're told that he rebuked Jesus. Right? He, he said that, um, God forbid it, that, that shall never happen to you, Lord. Right? But again, Jesus said these things must happen. But now Peter here, well, let me re- re- go back a couple of verses. Je- Peter just said that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But now Peter's basically saying, now I'm going to tell you how to be the Christ. Right? You're not going to die. I'm not going to let that happen to you. But again, Jesus said these things must happen. And so do you remember who Jesus called Peter right after that? Satan, right. He said, get behind me, Satan, right? Because you don't have your mind on uh, heavenly things, but your mind is set on 
the earthly things. Your, your, your mind is set on man's interests and not God's interests. You know, because when Peter said, God forbid it shall it not happen to you, he's basically was saying, uh, you know, mercy be to you, uh, Jesus. Uh, God, God be merciful to you. Basically saying, listen, you don't have to do those things. You can, uh, of course, uh, just you know, ask for God's mercy and his grace and don't worry about having to go through with these things. Uh, but again, you know, that got a reaction out of Jesus. Jesus then rebukes Peter and says, uh, get behind me, Satan, right? Because you have your mind on man's interests and not God's because again, I must do these things. And then he talked about the cost of discipleship uh, really for those next few verses. Remember he said that they needed to de- deny themselves they needed to take up their cross and that they not only take up their cross, but daily take up their cross and follow me. And then he said, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then, of course, another verse that we're familiar with, you know, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Right. Uh, you know, these boom, 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 these verses one after another, you know, hitting the disciples Right uh, in the heart, no doubt. And, uh, you know, that's going to be tough for them uh, to hear these things. And, of course, right after that, uh, Jesus, again, remember the, the scriptures say that Jesus is saying these things plainly to them. Right. They, they understand what Jesus is talking about. And he reminds them uh, right after that about his second coming. And, again, uh, that some of those who are standing there today are going to see the church be established. And then we, so we... Um, Again, talked about those points. So a lot of great lessons uh, Sunday morning. And now we're going to conclude uh, these thoughts here. Uh, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 17 tonight, uh, verses 1 through 13, as we really are going to conclude uh, sort of these uh, series of lessons. Now, this isn't going to take place on the same day uh, as uh, those past two lessons. And we're actually going to told, be told specifically how many days uh, this has taken place after that. But again, here is another pivotal, pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus. Another pivotal moment. Um, and so let's, uh, well, first let me ask this question. And maybe this is just a rhetorical question. We don't have to answer this right now. But uh, listen to what the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says, uh, he wrote this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. So that brings up an interesting question. You know, uh, how will we see Jesus? Right? What will Jesus look like? And uh, we're going to get a glimpse of that here tonight. Uh, just a glimpse of it here in Matthew chapter 17. So let's. Let's read the first uh, three verses and notice uh, uh, Matthew records. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them Talking with him. You know, again, we really cannot comprehend what the, you know, what the apostles saw here. 
uh, you know, what it meant for them at that moment, uh, what it's going to mean for them later on. And so, uh, so let's, let's sort of discuss uh, the setting here. So again, we're told six days later. So six days later, after the discussion that uh, Jesus had with the, his disciples on the cost of discipleship now, uh, they go up onto this high mountain, and Jesus is transfigured before them. Uh, just want to point out, Matthew and Mark both say six days. Luke says about eight days, okay? And so, you know, Luke's giving an estimate, right? He, uh, you know, we might say it differently today. We might say, well, about a week later, right? That, that's what Luke's saying, uh, about eight days later, about a week later, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, maybe maybe Luke was a Beatles fan, right? Uh, eight days a week, but uh, he uh, he says there uh, about eight days later, and again, just think about what the apostles have been thinking about these past six days. They're probably struggling under to understand what Jesus told them. You know, maybe some of them are questioning uh, his authority. Uh, you know, those probably was a long six days. Right? For, you know, when Jesus uh, declared all of those things to them about the cost of discipleship. And so here we have uh, Jesus' inner circle. Right? Uh, three of his 12 apostles, Peter and then these two brothers, James and John, right? the sons of Zebedee. And most events in Jesus' life uh, we see could be seen by all the apostles, but there, there are a few of these select uh, the accounts in scripture where he only uh, brings in his inner uh, apostles, uh, his inner circle, right? Uh, is it okay to have, uh, you know, friends that are, are a little bit closer to you? Oh, All right. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, the church here is a big family, right? And uh, we're to love one another and help one another. Uh, but there's... I, there are natural bonds where we might be closer to, you know, one person than the other. And, you know, we, we notice that in Jesus' life, right? Jesus, uh, a few times in Scripture, he'll bring Peter and James and John, uh, these three. Again, they're often referred to as Jesus' inner circle. And uh, do you remember some of the other accounts where it's just Jesus and these three? We've already talked about one, but there's another one that we have not yet discussed. Sorry. Up on the mountain, the Okay. Um, in the garden. Yeah. 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 That's the one we haven't talked about yet. In the garden of Gethsemane, where he, uh, he you know, he leaves uh, the uh, the others behind, and he goes with those three specifically, and he goes and prays, right? And there was another one that we probably don't remember as much, but when he uh, helped. Uh, resurrect Jairus's daughter. Uh, remember, he went into the home uh, of Jairus, and he only brought with him Peter, James, and John, and, he, uh, and then Jairus's uh, parents, and then they went in, and Jesus resurrected uh, the young girl. And so uh, there are a few instances where, again, Jesus only brings his, uh, his inner circle with him, and uh, why do you suppose he chose these three men? Be the first one to be called, the first one to be called. Right. Yeah, if we recall 
uh, all the way back in uh, the beginning of our uh, lesson series uh, studying the life of Christ, you know, the Peter, James, and John were three of the first uh, disciples uh, before they were made apostles. Uh, they were the first three disciples that, you know, he called them. You know, they were out fishing on the shore there, and Jesus, you know, told them to follow him, and, and of course they did. So there's that relationship there. You know, they, they kind of go way back uh, more, much more than some of the other apostles. Uh, of course, you know, Peter is that rock, right? Jesus, Jesus named him Peter. Uh, his name was Cephas, or Simon, or Cephas, but, you know, Jesus was the one that gave him the name Peter, Rock. Of course, do you remember the relationship or, or what Scripture refers to as the Apostle John and Jesus? It's interesting because in the Gospel of John, and of course John's writing it, but he does, whenever he refers to himself, he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Right, and so there's a, there's a special relationship between those two. And then, of course, uh, his brother James is going to be, you know, the first apostle to be martyred uh, for the faith. But, uh, you know, another reason why, you know, Jesus probably took these three uh, rather than all 12 of the apostles uh, with him up on this mountain. And we haven't, you know, we haven't read the, the details yet. But is it easier to keep a secret or to keep things quiet when you only have three people with you versus 12? Yeah, and, and Jesus is going to tell them as they come down the mountain to you know, not spread this around, to not tell anybody. And so uh, that, that might be one of the other instances why uh, Jesus only selected these three. Um, but again, we, we can't be certain. But uh, let's talk about the location of where we're at. So uh, the, the scriptures tell us that basically that, that they go up on a high mountain. By themselves. Now, remember uh, the terrain of, of Israel. You know, when we think of mountains, you know, we think of the Rocky Mountains or uh, the Appalachian Mountains. Or, you know, we think of these really, really tall uh, mountain ranges. But really, uh, when the Bible talks about mountains in Israel, you know, we might think of them more like hills, just big hills. Uh, but it does point out to us that this was a high mountain. So this was one of those, one of these bigger hills uh, that they would have. Uh, been there, and, and there's a couple of different locations. Uh, we don't know exactly where this is. Scripture doesn't tell us which big hill, which mountain it is, uh, but there are two, and that's why I got the map up today. There are two that are, are most likely. Now, the, the one that uh, people sort of believe we have the best evidence for is Mount Tabor right here, but um, what we're going to notice is that, uh, you remember, remember where Jesus just was a few days ago? That, that city uh, that we talked about a few days ago? Remember, he was just up here in Caesarea uh, Philippi. So it kind of seems unlikely that he would have went all the way down here to uh, conduct this, uh, this transfiguration. Uh, but... Uh, the other, the other place that is typically pointed to as one of the places where Jesus was, was up here at Mount Hermon. And that kind of makes a little bit more sense to us because, you know, again, that's in that area of Caesarea of Philippi. But both cases uh, have their, their pros and cons. Uh, again, you know, um, again, the traditional site for where this happened was Mount Tabor. 
You know, and there's actually churches there today that are, you know, dedicated to, you know, the transfiguration. You know, if you went on a, a trip of Israel and did one of those tours, you know, they might take you to, uh, I, th- I believe it's a Catholic church there that uh, is, you know, that's named the, the, the Church of the Transfiguration, something uh, along those lines. And so traditionally people believe that it happened there, but it does make a lot more sense if it happened uh, up near Caesarea uh, Philippi. But the point is, does it ultimately matter where it happened? No, I, I can think of a lot of instances uh, where in, in Scripture that, you know, it's better off that we don't know, you know, where these things are or where, or where they happened. You know, I can think of, you know, just imagine if we had in a, uh, you know, in a glass case the original you know, letter to 1 Corinthians that Paul wrote, the, the, the actual one, right? Not a copy of it, but the actual one. If we had it preserved today uh, in a case, uh, what would people tend to do? They'd probably tend to, you know, maybe worship that, uh, that letter. You know, if the Ark of the Covenant, if Indiana Jones, right, didn't find the Ark of the Covenant... Uh, or, or if he did find it, right, how would people, uh, you know, tend to look at the Ark of Covenant today if it was still around? We might worship it, right? Uh, we, we might look at it as something sacred and special. And so, uh, you know, the point is, is that, you know, it's no big deal that we don't know where the transfiguration took place. And maybe it's, one of those things where maybe it's better off that we, we just don't know because, again, people might focus on that mountain rather than uh, the glory that, that you know, God is going to show through Jesus there. So what does this word transfiguration, transfigured, what, what does that mean? Change. Okay, change. Uh, the Greek word is uh, where we get our word metamorphosis, right? And so it actually looks pretty similar to metamorphosis. And that means, you know, a change. Uh, but is it, is it like a slight change or is it a, a more radical change? Right. And so, you know, when we talk about what are some things that go through metamorphosis today? Okay, yeah, caterpillar to a butterfly. Tadpole to a frog? Yeah. Did you, were you reading the... Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, those are those two examples that were in the, the lesson plan, but those are things that go through metamorphosis today, and so we understand, you know, these radical changes. And so um, the Bible, again, in verse 2, tells us how Jesus was transfigured, right? His face shone like the sun. Uh, Luke's account says that he, his appearance of his face became different, right? So his face is showing like the sun. And then about, it also says about his clothing, his garments became as white as light. I want to read to you what Mark says because he's got an interesting a point in Mark chapter 9, verse 3. It says that, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Uh, that's just a, that's an interesting uh, verse that Mark includes there, that uh, his appearance was so white, 
right? It was so uh, brightly white that there was nobody. I think one translation says the word bleach. Uh, my translation says launderer, but there's no one who could have bleached it as white, no hu- humanly possible to bleach it as white as it was or to you know, launder it as white as it was. And uh, again, he's, uh, that couldn't be attributed to, you know, to humans, to people, right? This was, this was divine. This was a glimpse of God. And that's really what they got to see there. Um, a glimpse of divine glory. You know, Jesus uh, in his, um, his glory. And then verse 3, uh, let's read that one again. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 3, it says, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. You know, this verse uh, sort of begs a lot of questions to be asked. Um, how did the apostles know who these two individuals were? You see Jesus being transfigured. You got these two other individuals around them. Did Elijah and Moses live in Peter and James and John's lifetime? Did they have cameras back then or photographs? How did they know that that was Elijah and Moses up there with Jesus? It's an interesting question. Uh, Did they introduce themselves to the the apostles? Uh, Did they overhear the conversation that Jesus was having with them? You know, was Moses carrying his staff or was Elijah, was Elijah brought in on a, a chariot of fire just like how he had left? Uh, you know, again, we don't know. I mean, how did these men look? Remember, Moses, uh, was, Moses died and was buried, and we don't know where, uh, you know, God specifically, um, you know, this is, again, another one of those instances where we don't know, and God specifically says, I think it's in Deuteronomy that, you know, Moses' um, burial place was hidden from man. And, uh, and again, Elijah's body was translated to heaven, right? Elijah didn't have to go through that process of, of dying. And so, you know, we wonder, what did Elijah and Moses look like in this instance? Was it their 30-year-old versions of themselves? Their, you know, their 80, 90? Uh, you know, it's just a lot of... A lot of speculation to think about uh, what these men look like and how Peter and James and John knew who they were. You know, this is, uh, this is a good example uh, for us to, you know, bring up the point that, uh, you know, we don't lose our identity. We don't lose our, uh, our character, you know, when we uh, go from this life into the next, right? We still have that identity because obviously uh, here's Moses and Elijah who are men, human, just like you and I. And, uh, and they're being, again, transfigured before Jesus, and they've got their identity. So why these two men? Why did Moses and Elijah, why are these two men uh, discussing this topic here with Jesus? Uh, let me quickly touch on what they were talking about. Luke chapter 9. So this is Luke's account. We didn't read Luke's account. Uh, but Luke chapter 9, verse 31, lets us know that uh, they were speaking of his departure that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Right? So that, that's the purpose of this, this transfiguration on the mountain, that Elijah and Moses are, uh, maybe they're strengthening, maybe they're encouraging Jesus uh, about, about what's going to happen, uh, knowing that they're getting closer and closer to the cross. And it's just amazing to think about 
uh, that conversation. But again, does anyone want to maybe uh, go out and, on a limb and uh, maybe um, discuss you know, or know why was it Moses and why was it Elijah that were there with Jesus? Or what do those two represent? Okay, yes. So uh, Moses, of course, uh, wrote the law, uh, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. Uh, a lot, again, a lot of times in the, in the New Testament when we're reading in the gospel accounts, you know, that Jesus will uh, bring up that, you know, uh, you know like, like what we talked about uh, last Sunday morning uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, the golden rule, right? Uh, this is the law and the prophets, right? They condensed the Old Testament, those 39 books, into the law and the prophets. And, and Moses represented the law, uh, the old law, the law of Moses, and Elijah represented the prophets. Uh, and so, so these are those two uh, who are... Sorry? Well, Moses lived under the law of Moses, and Elijah would have too. So, because they they were both uh, Jews, uh, the patriarchal uh, would have been before uh, the law of Moses. Uh, but but I, I believe you know what Tara mentioned. The, that's what these two men represent. So you've got the law, and then you've got the prophets, and those those two equate to you know what we refer to as the Old Testament, and uh, you know. And we're going to notice here in a moment, really, the message that God's going to give to the people. And, you know, I'll give you a little bit of spoiler alert, but uh, it's not about them anymore, right? Because there's going to, because Jesus is here, and there's going to be a new covenant enacted. And uh, the, Moses and his teaching, and Elijah and his teachings, those are going to, you know, fade away. They, they've served their purpose uh, when Jesus dies on the cross. So let's finish uh, Matthew chapter 17, verses 4 through 13. Let's finish the rest of the story with our time together here. And so it's, uh, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came up to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their ears, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And they were continuing down from the mountain. Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. When the disciples understood, excuse me, then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. So if we were to uh, read Luke's account, Luke gives us a little bit uh, more information. It tells us that uh, the three of them were asleep. Uh, Peter, James, and John were asleep, but they were awoken. 
And they were fully awake when they saw this happen. And so Peter uh, says, uh, it's good to be here, right? This, you know, this is amazing. It's good to be here in, in this, while this event's happening. And what does he want to build for these three individuals? Tabernacle. Now, what's a tabernacle? Okay, yeah, in the, uh, in the Old Testament, before the, uh, the temple uh, was built by Solomon, uh, while they were, you know, go back even further, while they're wandering in the wilderness, they had, you know, a tabernacle. They had, you know, it's basically a tent right? or, or a booth, uh, a shelter, you know, uh, but it's a little bit more than that. It's a sacred tent. And uh, so Peter says, you know, this is amazing. It's, it's good to be here right now. What I want to do is, you know, build three tabernacles, one for you, and one for Elijah, and one for, for Moses. Now, um, what is Peter doing unknowingly when he says that? What's his mistake that he's making? Yeah, I think Danny said. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Mike was using the word that I had in my notes. He equated uh, Moses and Elijah on the on the level of Jesus, right? And so, uh, because of that, what happens immediately? God spoke. Right. Uh, you know, that was probably pretty scary for them, right? This is my beloved son. Hear him. Right? Listen to him. We've heard God say this before, all the way back uh, at the baptism of Jesus. Uh, God said these same words. And, uh, and so it's, it's interesting and probably important to note uh, that, again, here, uh, he says these same, same things. Uh, you know, Peter is probably in shock, of course. Uh, he's probably... Um, you know, in, in amazement. Sometimes we say things in those situations where, uh, you know, maybe uh, we are uncomfortable and we might say something, you know, uh, just to say something. And Peter just says, you know, hey, this is a good thing. Let, let's build these three tents here. Uh, not really thinking uh, of the moment. And uh, of course, God uh, declares again that, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, listen to him, right? Because Moses, the law of Moses is going to be fulfilled uh, at the cross. Uh, Elijah and the prophets, again, a part of that Old Testament regime uh, is going to, you know, uh, no longer be uh, the, the authority for the Jewish people, well, for, for anybody, uh, because this new covenant is going to be established. And so Jesus says, or excuse me, God says, listen to Jesus, right? Jesus is here. Um, I think probably one of the, the, the best verses on that is uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where uh, the Hebrews writer says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom uh, he has made the world. So... Again, the emphasis here is Jesus, right? Jesus is here. Listen to him. Of course, the apostles are uh, terrified. They, they fall down on their face, we're told. And, uh, but 
things are going to uh, you know, be a little better for them. They're, they're going to come down the mountain, it says. Uh, but it's just Jesus, right? Elijah and Moses uh, are no longer there in their midst, and it's just Jesus. And they come down uh, from the mountain. Jesus is comforting them. Um, again, verse 9 tells us that uh, as they were coming down, he commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Again, why, uh, you know, why does he not want these things told? Uh, you know, we just see this over and over again uh, in, in the ministry of Jesus. But this brings up, you know, this brings up many questions that the disciples have, we saw there. Uh, I think this is in Mark's account. I'm going to flip back to Mark uh, chapter 9, verse 10. Mark uh, says that, oh, yeah, so in Mark chapter 9, verse 10, it says that they seized upon that statement. Uh, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant, right? This, this was something that, you know, excited them to talk about, uh, that Jesus said that, uh, listen, don't tell anybody about this transfiguration until after uh, I have been buried and, and risen. And so, uh, you know, Mark says that this, uh, this uh, caught their curiosity. They were discussing this at length. They wanted to know uh, you know, again, what it meant there. Uh, but then right after that comes another discussion uh, about Elijah again, right? Um, talking about, you know, the, you know, the scribes, uh, the scribes who were sort of the religious authority of the day, you know, they're the ones who read the scriptures every day and copied them down. And so they obviously knew a lot uh, about uh, the scriptures uh, they taught the people that Elijah, you know, had to come first before uh, the Messiah, right? And we can go back into the book of Malachi, which is the last Old Testament book in chapters 3 and chapters 4, which uh, prophesies about how, you know, Elijah is to come again. And uh, has Elijah came to this point? Because there, Peter and James and John are thinking... Okay, we just saw Elijah, and you're th saying that you're the Christ, but the scribes are saying Elijah is supposed to come first, and then the Messiah. Well, has, has Elijah came on the scene already? Yeah, verse 13 tells us that, uh, or let's back up to verse 12. Uh, but I say to you that Elijah already came, Jesus said, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Right? The, the, the scribes were teaching that there was going to be a literal Elijah, that you know, the, the original Elijah, again, who uh, went into heaven uh, on that chariot of fire you know, and didn't have to suffer uh, a death. Uh, that, you know, they taught that through those scriptures in the Old Testament that he was going to uh, return and that he was going, of course, you know, pave the way for the Messiah. And that did happen, but not in a literal sense. It was John the Baptist came in the character, in the spirit of, John, or of Elijah. And we, we studied those lessons all the way back in probably the, the first few um, lessons that we looked at. And so... 
Again, this is in reference to, to John the Baptist. And so, you know, what is the purpose? I know we only have a couple minutes left, but what was the purpose of this whole event? You know, why was Jesus up there on this mountain with Moses and Elijah being transfigured before them? We actually get sort of an answer to this question uh, in Second Peter, of all places. In Second Peter. Now, of course, Peter was there. He's, he's an eyewitness to this account. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 16, says that for we did not, we do not, excuse me, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So uh, in the second letter, uh, you know, that Peter writes, you know, he gives us an explanation of, you know, why this took place. You know, because they were eyewitnesses of his majesty and because Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, you know, again, at this point. It was probably uh, meant for both uh, Jesus and for those three apostles. Again, the, those apostles who... Uh, I witnessed this event um, of God speaking. You know, they heard God's voice. And so um, such a powerful, powerful uh, account in Scripture. And, you know, we could probably, uh, you know, make a lot of lessons to take home with us from here uh, about, you know, the authority of Jesus. Right. Listen to him. Uh, Moses and Elijah didn't come down that mountain. It was Jesus. Uh, he's the one that we listen to. He's the one who enacted the new covenant. Um, you know, we could talk about, uh, you know, sometimes we need the encouragement from others, right? Whether it's Jesus' inner circle or whether it's Jesus uh, with Elijah and uh, Moses discussing, again, his departure, his uh, upcoming death. You know, that probably strengthened Jesus for the upcoming uh, push in his ministry. And so... Uh, there was some encouragement there, that, and uh, ultimately, you know, we, we learn from the story of the power of God and the glory of Christ, right? And again, think of 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. You know, what is he going to look like? Well, I think we got a little bit of a glimpse of it uh, here in this verse. And so um, we will continue in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29 on Sunday morning. But I appreciate all of your comments here this evening.